You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. City Homers, episode 38. We are here today heading into the baseball regional, heading out to Statesboro to take on Notre Dame first. This is the Georgia Southern region regional, for those of you who aren't familiar with which college is in Statesboro which I'm guessing until this weekend was most Tech fans. So you are heading out to a region you will not host. I think technically speaking, you're the three seed, but that's not an important distinction as the much more important distinction is the fact that your super regional date would be with Tennessee. So it's a very tough road ahead for baseball. We're going to dive into all that towards the end of our show. We're going to start out in the world of golf. We just saw their season end in a heartbreaking fashion to Vanderbilt earlier today in the round of eight in the match play portion of the NCAA tournament. We're then going to move on into the world of basketball. We've had some significant recruiting news around the Big 12, but Tech in particular has benefited massively from some new commitments. We're going to have a breakdown of what that means and kind of take a look at where the roster is and some of the maybe some of the moves that could still be to come. But like I said, first we're going to start in the world of golf. This was an interesting situation for Tech to be in. Um, they did not play particularly well in the the breakout rounds. It took really heroic efforts to get into the round to the, the survive the first cut to get to 15, and it took another heroic effort to get to eight. So I thought we were going to see a tech team that was kind of burned out. I mean that was that was a huge push, and what we saw instead was a tech team that was really really motivated today and really battled, and at one point was leading in every match on the back nine, just couldn't quite close it out. Um, so it was a great season for all the guys involved. You know, I, I don't know about the, the rest of you, but I consider anytime you make it to what the equivalent of your sports, like elite eight, then that, that's a, that's a good season. You know, you can't ask for much more than that though. This team had, you know, loftier goals in mind, obviously they, they, they made it to a round befitting of a top 10 team most of the year. And that's, that's what they were. So it was a really impressive, impressive showing, um, I would go more into detail on that, but to be honest with you, it was kind of hard to watch the, uh, the, the, the the golf coverage of this. I think the golf channel didn't even start until like way late in tax round. So I missed most of this, but it is important to know that those guys battled really hard and had a great season. We're going to run into basketball now just to, to keep things moving. Texas Tech secures the commitment of Elijah Fisher, who, if you somehow slept on a rock and didn't know, has reclassified to join the 2022 class. He's a five-star prospect, interestingly enough, from our neighbor up north in Canada. In fact, I believe he's the highest-rated prospect to ever come from the great north. So let's take a look at the roster as a whole now. Kendall, I'll go to you first with this one. 
We don't know yet what the final roster moves will be. I, Tech has one roster spot available. There's always been some rumblings around Aldoni potentially seeking a new home. What are we talking about in terms of the overall health of this roster? Um, I think that right now this roster is being built just as good as it was last season, which I think going into last year, there was a lot of speculation. But if anybody actually like looked at the roster, there was tons of talent in there. And I think that's the same this year, except we're mu- going to be much younger than we have really since I would say maybe that um, 2020 season with Jamias Ramsey and uh, TJ in their freshman year. And I think this team will be much better built to succeed than that squad was just because, you know, Jamias Ramsey that year had a ton of hype. I think that Elijah Fisher is going to live up to the hype and then some because, you know, different sites had Fisher as the top prospect of the 2023 class. Like this was more significant of a get than I feel like is being talked about nationally. Um, Like he's on the level of a Cade Cunningham type of player. And everybody saw what Cade Cunningham did to the Big 12. Like, he just absolutely dominated. So, I think getting that caliber of player combined with what we're bringing back and the experience along with some new youth, um, this roster is looking insane to me. Because not only do we have, you know, the youth of Pop Pop Isaac, um, you have Elijah Fisher, Lamar Washington, Robert Jennings, but... You're also looking at a lot of experience with Kevin O'Banner coming back, which he is going to be a hell of a leader. He was in this locker room last year. He knows exactly what this staff expects for the culture and for the chemistry. Uh, you have Davion Harmon, who has played Big 12 basketball for multiple years. He um, went to the Pac-12 for, I think it was one season, but he's right back in the Big 12. Um, then you just have you know, some kind of throw-in guys. You have Daniel Bacho coming back. Uh, we're losing Malik Wilson, which sucks to see him go to Houston. Just like, I mean, that's two straight years now that we've had one of our guards go to Houston. But uh, I think that there's still a couple, whole, like one or two guys that I think Mark Adams is going to look to bring in. I just saw they're recruiting a forward out of North Carolina that's an elite shooter. Um and I think that really this team, what it's missing might be just a true point, but we really haven't seen what Pop Pop can do. Uh, Davion Harmon is probably going to take over some of the uh, point guard role. Um, but overall, this team is looking just unbelievably stacked, and it's looking very similar to last season uh, with the buildup. We have a lot of lengthy guys that can play you know, multiple positions. And I think that's setting up really well for us. What I'll be interested to see is, um, you know, like you said, if uh, Frenchie does transfer and it opens up another spot, I think that uh, Coach Adams could be looking to go get, you know, a couple more guys. Uh, But I really think that this roster is looking pretty close to finish. I think they're going to leave – another spot open just like they did last season. Cause I think that, you know, Mark Adams never stops. He's always looking for to bring guys in. And that was very obvious with Jalen Tyson last year. And I actually think he Jalen Tyson might be the biggest beneficiary to Elijah Fisher coming in for a year early because um, I think Tyson, I feel like he was going to have a lot of pressure coming into this season to be great right away. And I think now that, Elijah Fisher's coming in. He's going to have a little bit of that taken off. A little bit attention is going to be away from him, but he's still going to be able to be an elite threat at all levels. And I, that's why I think this team is so dangerous. This is the most offensive talent that I think since even be, like since the Beard era and now Coach Adams, I think this is collectively the most offensive talent we've had. And to me, I think Kevin O'Banner is going to take a huge leap next year, too. Um, he has – we saw so many glimpses, just not much consistency. And I think another year in the Big 12, I think that consistency is going to come. And really just with this roster, 
you know, we've seen uh, Barrett Peary is gone. But um, so the offense is going to look much different. But we're going to be running that Golden State type of offense that uh, a lot of people have seen um, really being brought into college basketball. It's going to be really perimeter centric, which looking at the way our roster is built, that's not surprising at all. The only, I would say, true center right now is Daniel Bacho, but we still have a good amount of size. So I just think that this team, I I hate to put this big of expectations on them, but I think they the program has earned it. Like this team is probably the most collective talent uh, that has been on a roster in a very long time, possibly, you know, in this last decade. Uh, and I think that the room the ceiling for this team is very to me it's very obviously a national title because um you know with elijah fisher that caliber of player we saw in the tournament this year when we played uh duke you know you got a guy as talented as paulo bancaro you're gonna see uh you saw what a guy like that that can take over can do and I think that was Tech's biggest issue last year. I did never felt that we had the guy that can completely just take it over. You know, we had guys that would pour in, you know, give us, you know, 10, 15 points. And, you know, guys like Adonis and McCuller, Shannon would always, Bryson would throw in like 20, 25 points. But I always felt that um, once adjustments were made, um, sometimes that's when our offense slowed down. But this year, I think we have at least two guys that can take over that game in Elijah Fisher and Jalen Tyson. And that's where I think we're going to see major improvements offensively. And that's exactly why I think Coach Adams wanted to change the offense too, was because of that talent that we have. So, and I also want to point this out that I do think that Elijah Fisher coming in is the sole reason that Kevin McCuller transferred after kind of just looking into it a little bit. Um, you know, it seems as though Elijah Fisher was promised a starting spot and basically all the minutes he wants and all the touches he wants. And that's essentially going to be what Kevin McCullough's role would have been. So I think getting him is going to cushion losing McCullough a lot. And it sucks losing out on getting Matt Meyer. But at the same time, there's still a ton of talent out in the transfer portal that um, there's still people deciding on whether they're going to leave the draft early. So I definitely don't think this roster is done being built. But looking at it right now, I just think that um, I don't know how much better a roster can really be built going into a season for us because Tech just hasn't seen this level of recruiting and talent. Like even Beard, his best recruit was uh, Ramsey. And I liked Ramsey, but I just don't think he lived up to – you know, his four-star, borderline five-star potential. But if you watch Elijah Fisher, everything's there. And I think that he is more going to live up to it in the first year. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Fisher will most likely be in college two years from everything that I've seen because since he reclassified. So um, not only was that a big get for this season, but possibly having him for two years is going to be huge for the program. Yeah, I think I think from my perspective, when I look at the roster as a whole, I don't know, you know, arguably, if you're better than last year's team from a on paper standpoint. Um, it obviously sucks to lose both TJ and McCuller in the same year. However, I, I I think it is probably a fair statement to say that both of those guys were aware that they could not fill the role they wanted to attack. And I, I mean this with all due respect to McCuller, you know, even though he is going to Kansas and I will be with along with everybody else booing him, he it's not his game to be a point guard. There's nothing wrong with that, but I guarantee you he's hearing from NBA scouts that he has to be um a bigger focal point in offense. And it's just he's just not good at it. He was a terrible point guard for large parts of the year. I mean, he just looked completely unable to run that role. And the crazy thing about it, I don't know why he's going to Kansas because I don't see him doing any better there. For TJ's side, he just needs the ball more. Um, I think Illinois will get him the ball almost an unlimited amount. So, you know, those guys are going off to to other pastures to do their thing. And part of the reason why is probably because some of these guys come in and are going to take their jobs. Davion Harmon is going to run the point. 
<clears throat> you know, he's he was going to do the thing we wanted McCullough to do. And the thing Malik Wilson wanted to do. Another guy who's heading out. You know, um, uh, Elijah Fisher is going to do a lot of what Shannon responsible for. You know, some of these other guys already in the program. Uh, uh, guys like... Um, you know, Tyson, these guys, these guys were going to do the things that these players wanted to do. So I think you reloaded what you lost 100%. I think you are potentially a bit better. It kind of depends. Transfer squads are always bizarre. You know, think about some of Chris Beard's best teams, his 2019 team. That was the one that was probably maybe on paper, one of the quietest teams coming in. Tariq Owens had a little bit of hype around him. Matt Mooney, a little bit of hype around him, but it was a quiet team. So you never know what you're going to get. Last year's team had a lot of potential to not be good. You know, they didn't have a true point guard. They were installing an entirely new offensive system that we didn't see necessarily a huge difference between the motion and what we saw. I The, the, the offense was pretty stagnant. But point being is we had no idea, and we got a really good ball club out of it. This year's team is extremely talented on paper, as is a lot of the Big 12. See, it'll be it'll be a fight, you know, start to finish. It always is in Big 12 basketball, but you on paper have built the best roster you could. I I if Naldoni elects to leave, I believe Tech will fill that spot. But if you're left with one scholarship, I based on what Chris Beard did, based on what Mark Adams has done, you know, that kind of mentality is hold one open for mid-years. If you don't have a guy you really, really want, hold it open for a mid-year so that, you know, when some disgruntled guard isn't happy at their spot, you can go swoop in and get some really talented players. I mean, guys, Tyson is a really talented player who should have gone to Tech originally and followed Beard. And getting that, having that scholarship flexibility is why he's here now. You got in first, basically. And that that that's, that's the flexibility I expect you to have. I don't know if you're you know, going to be voted second or third in the Big 12. You're up there in the near the top. You're going to be a competitor until further notice. Kansas is the team to beat. Baylor's number two, just because that's what Baylor's done the last few years. I've tweeted this, and I want to make clear, I don't care what Texas does in the offseason. It means nothing to me. That is the most overrated program in all of athletics, and they've wasted much better teams than the one Texas have. Guys, Kevin Durant on any basketball team is the best college basketball team in the last, like, 10 years, and they didn't do shit. So I'm not going to buy that a team that's as good as the one they had last year is worth being afraid of until I see it. You know, maybe Chris Beard's the guy to end that trend. I don't know. I don't think so. I think those guys are going to um, die die and suffer in that offense, you know, not get their touches, not being able to to get the shots they want. But we'll see. I think you're you're up there in their top, and Mark Adams has done his job well. Whatever happens, you know we we swung and missed on some guys. It was it looked a little shaky, and then he just filled out what he does. He kept Kevin Kevin O'Banner in the program. I mean, he did what he needed to do to build a successful off season. So Jack, I'm going to open up this lat. We're going to close out the basketball talk here in a minute and switch on to baseball, which I really want to spend a lot of time on. But Jack, I'm going to give you the last question, and I kind of led into this, but I want to rephrase it a bit. Now, not looking necessarily at tech in and of itself, but how does tech fit in to what the Big 12 is doing? You know, I talked about Kansas and these guys, but when you're assessing the rosters overall, what are you seeing from the Big 12 conference? I'm seeing a lot of reshuffling, and I'm seeing what used to be a common trend in collegiate sports, kind of with being loyalty, is kind of being thrown out of the window. I found it really interesting that kind of digging into the reason Matt Meyer didn't come to tech, but he had him listed, I think as his second uh, team, if I'm not mistaken, that he didn't come to tech out of respect for Scott drew and the Baylor program. Um, I find it really interesting that that was one of the main reasons. And, um, you know, I really didn't, I really didn't like him when he played for Baylor, um, but he gained a lot of respect in my book um, just because I didn't really like him just because I thought he was kind of annoying on the court. And that's probably, you know, what his game plan was. But um, there's a lot of reshuffling. And I, and I guess that that's not just the big 12 though. I, you know, we're, we're talking about people going all over the place, all over the country. You're talking about TJ going to, you know, Illinois. You're talking about Malik Wilson going to Houston uh, you know, Tyrese Hunter went to Texas or whatever. I mean, so it's just, there are constantly a lot, all these players going everywhere. And it really truly is. If y'all, I mean, if we really want to be honest with it, it's really the wild West out there right now. 
um, you kind of have to just jump in feet first and just kind of see what uh, is going to happen. And I don't really know where this type of model takes uh, college sports. Uh, don't get me wrong. The NIL is, is good and for certain things and uh, for certain types of recruiting, of course. But, um, you know, what, what were we talking about the other week? Nigel Pack went to Miami for 750K. I mean, like, that's pretty out in the open about playing people. So, so you know, do what does this change for not just the Big 12 and not just uh, – and not just for college basketball, but, I mean, it kind of – on a bigger scale picture, you know, how long before this reaches – college football and i don't know if it will ever reach baseball but i mean give it a few years and you know the whole scape of college athletics is you know it's in a it's in a i think a big transition right now and um that's just kind of what i'm seeing and that's just kind of what i'm realizing taking a look not just at uh the basketball roster but just in the grand scheme of things and this is a conversation we're going to have, I believe, once baseball's done is when we'll do it. But it is once we're fully out of, you know, the craziest time of the sports calendar with recruiting and all this stuff going on. And we're into the true dead period, the first dead period when Tex baseball season comes to an end. It will be time for this podcast to have a much more detailed NIL discussion because the, the points Jack are talking about are things that regardless of your position on the NIL or things that the sport has to address and it, uh, decisions have to be made if we like what we're seeing or not. Um, and we'll give our two cents on that when we have, I think we'll probably do a dedicated episode because it is a topic that especially in basketball is so pressing right now. For instance, look at Meyer, right? Meyer did what you would expect college recruits to do a few years ago. They never transferred in conference. A lot of the time it was because it was hard to because coaches would step in the way, but he didn't go to Tech specifically because he said he did not want to play against Scott Drew and Baylor. That's why he's not at Tech. Whereas Therese Hunter is going to, you know, I, I, I was Iowa State's biggest rival and Kansas State is Kansas's, but in basketball terms, those two schools hate each other hate each other it would never happen in the past that these kids would make these transfers mccullough never would have considered kansas who has been largely responsible for all, quite a few of tech's conferences losses the last few years and you know i've made my feelings clear on that and we'll talk about the nil implications of all this when we have a, a real dedicated episode but it is something whenever you consider why recruits are going where now um it's just reality that they're doing it for money. Most of these guys are getting induced, you know, like Nick Saban has attempted. I think he got spanked by the commission a bit, but he's attempting to walk back some of the stuff he says about AM. but it's time to just say it with your chest, you know, AM is paying players. I suspect that that level 13 tech has got going on is doing the same. I'm not mad that these guys are doing it and we'll talk about all this and I don't want to steal the moment too much because we're going to move into baseball. But the last thought about this is don't read too much into what's on social media with regards to amounts, but understand that it is happening everywhere. We are cheating as much as A&M is cheating, as much as Texas is cheating. We're just talking about different sums of money. Everybody's cheating. If you're not cheating right now, I'd be embarrassed because there is no rules right now. The NCAA will never enforce this. They are begging players to tell them what's happening. If you think a player is going to risk a six-figure salary to tattle on a booster, you're out of your ever-loving mind. And if you think schools are going to keep cooperating with the NCAA after what's happened to Oklahoma State and Missouri, you're out of your mind. So just be aware. Any recruiting talk needs to be said in two frames. First and foremost, when you see really you know, small programs suddenly come up with superstars. Like Louisville the other day drags in this kid – um, highest rate recruiting, I think, since 2006 for them, and maybe in their school history. Do I think that part of that is probably his relationships to the staff? Sure. Do I also think he got a fat stack of cash? Absolutely. So just remember that. You know, don't don't be those people who says we're not doing it because tech is. I don't want to get you know hammered by people because I have no problem with what 
you know, Tech's doing with that level 13 stuff. That's not affiliated with the program. But if you think that that's entirely above board, I would bet any amount of money it's not. Not that those guys are doing anything morally wrong, but I would guarantee you they have violated NCAA rules, which is great. I think everybody should violate NCAA rules. Violate them more often. As long as it benefits the student athletes, I don't get a shit. And we'll talk about all this much more in detail, but just don't be those fans like Texas guys on like Orange Bloods. Like, man, we're the only program not cheating. Yeah, and everybody's cheating. Everybody, it's against Texas state law. Everybody's still doing it. So just keep that in mind with these discussions. Don't act holier than thou. Debate whether or not you think this stuff should be going on to your heart's content. But don't pretend that tech is pure and don't pretend that AM's pure. Don't pretend that Texas is pure. We all suck. And everybody's cheating. And until somebody gets called on it, they'll keep cheating. That That's my little my little soapbox about that. Um, the sport's going to have to address it. I just get driven nuts when you see, you know, like an A&M guy who's so offended that Nick Saban would dare imply that they had cheated. When we all know they have. Just as I would guarantee you, McGuire's had a little bit of help out there on the trail. There's oil money in West Texas, folks. I guarantee you not all of it's going to facilities. So, you know, just don't don't be that fan. Wait until the dust settles before you start really throwing fingers. And if somebody did something really screwed up, then we'll find out about it. And if they didn't, just be happy that you got some good recruits out of the mix and some other people did too. But we're going to move to baseball now because I, I could go off forever on that, and we will at nauseum in the offseason. So we're going to move on to baseball. Jack, I'm going to open this one up to you first, and we're going to start as a little retrospective. We now have every data point possible heading into the regional but I want to focus on one data point in particular, which is the Big 12 tournament. Ordinarily, these tournaments don't mean much. Tech had much more to play for this time around. What did you see? I mean, obviously, you were bounced far sooner than anybody would like. But what what are some of the big picture lessons you learned outside of just the immediate, it cost you the hosting spot? Uh, I think uh, one of just the, light, uh, the easier points to talk about um, – we, you and I at length have talked about how Tim Tadlock kind of has uh, Oklahoma State's number. Um, it's starting to look like OU has our number. Uh, for some reason, this squad just can't do anything correctly against Oklahoma. We learned that again. Um, I also think that <clears throat> once you lost that OU game, that quite a few people kind of figured that the spot was out of reach anyway. And with the way they played against K-State, I mean, it's 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 hard to beat a squad three times in one season. It's really hard to beat a squad four times in one season. And doing it five times in one season, I mean, we, we went four and one against them on the year. And pretty much in, if you play the same team five times, most of the time you're going to lose at least one of them. So, plus, I kind of, I still really do think that probably most everyone kind of knew that a hosting spot was out of the frame for us after losing for a fourth time to, or a third time, I guess, to OU. I, I think when, I, when we talk baseball, it is worth saying, you know, it, in basketball, by the way, there's a misconception that sweeps are, are um, uncommon, or excuse me, winning three times over a team is uncommon. Actually, statistics say if you swept a team, you're very likely to beat them again. In baseball, it's a whole different ballgame because that means five times you would have had, had pitchers really do their jobs. My big picture takeaway, besides the fact that Molina was fantastic in that opener, which we'll talk to as we talk about the pitching situation for the regional. My big takeaway is the pitching did its job against Kansas State, um, and you still lost anyways, which is as alarming as anything else. The pitching was, quite frankly, phenomenal. Birdsell got himself out of jam after jam. The relief pitching got itself after jam after jam. They kept you in the game, and the offense never produced. My other big takeaway is, and this is unfortunate because I love Jace Young, Jace Young is hitting really, really badly. I mean, it, it is a slump of all slumps for the young man. And if he doesn't bust it soon, Tech is in some trouble because that is a lot of Tech's offense has ridden on his bat. Granted, there's been power all over this, but, you know, for instance, Dylan and Carter out-hit Jace Young by quite a bit this weekend. And that should not happen. No offense to Dylan Carter and his fans, but he's not an offensive guy. And Jace Young looked like the guy batting 190 and not Dylan Carter. So I'm hopeful that Jace 
has gotten all that out of the system because you're going to need some offense for this regional. You just, you will, you're probably, I mean, you're just going to need to score a lot of runs. You you do not have the pitching to feel safe ever in relief. So you got to keep scoring. So Kendall, I'm going to go to you now. Same general question. What's your, you know, one or two big picture takeaways from the big 12 tournament? Well, I mean, we were talking in Slack, uh, you know, during the OU game and Jack, I think it was, I think we were maybe an inning in and Jack already said that he had turned it off because, and I was kind of with him to me, you know, it was a conference tournament. So there, I don't weigh it that much, but at the same time, um, especially that OU game, I was just kind of, it just seemed like the same stuff was happening. That's killed us all season with our pitching. And that's just, that's going to be the biggest worry for me is we've seen that Tex bats can kind of, you know, once they heat up, they're one of the kind, they've been one of the better hitting teams in the big 12, but that obviously the consistency hasn't been there, but it's going to come down to pitching. That's postseason baseball. If your pitching isn't, you know, at the top of its game, you're going to get ran out fast. And unless, you know, we obviously know with, uh, Birdsell and Morris that like what we have there, but even they've at least against OU, they struggled, um, you know, in the, in one of our last series and the tournament. So I don't necessarily, it's kind of hard to go in to the regional with a ton of optimism after that conference tournament. But at the same time, um, we've all seen what this team can do with their best. You know, they swept, OSU and Stillwater, um, they made Texas look. I mean, they put up 16 runs on Texas in a game, and they when they get their bats going, they can hang with anyone. But you know, it's all about consistency, and it's gonna be impossible to get out of a regional without you know our pitching needs to be elite because this is quite possibly looking at all the regionals this is going to be one of if not the most competitive regional because you know Notre Dame probably should have been a host Tech had an argument to host still and you know Georgia Southern arguably should have been higher than the 16 seed so I really think that this regional is probably going to be a dogfight and the thing that sucks is your reward if you get out of this dogfight is Tennessee most likely unless something catastrophic happens. So, um, you know, just the conference tournament didn't leave us with a lot to be, you know, with a whole lot of positive outlooks, but, you know, I'm going to remain optimistic going in to the regional. And, uh, I'm just hoping that the best version of tech kind of comes out, especially against Notre Dame. That's a really big game to start. If you can knock off that Notre Dame team, uh, I think you go into that mo- more than likely against Georgia Southern pretty confident. But uh, I guess we'll just kind of wait and see. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm sitting at right now. But, um, you know, I'm just I'm kind of just hoping that we get to see this team make a big run because, you know, Omaha is only two hours away from me. I, I would love to go back there and go watch Tech again. Jack, I'll change the question a little bit. So looking past the Big 12 tournament, now to the regional. We'll start with game one, which is Notre Dame, and we'll talk about the most likely game twos next, um, win or lose. We, I don't believe Notre Dame's announced their pitching matchup yet, so this may still be largely speculation since that's going to determine a lot of how this goes. But, you know, what are, what are we expecting in game one? And a kind of important question, if you're Tadlock, who are you throwing in game one? Are you sticking to the rotation as is? Are you sending Birdsaw out there to guarantee a win as much as you can? Or, you know, what, what are you doing in that situation? Well, you know, we could sit here and speculate all day. Um, that's why we don't get paid the big bucks, and Tim Tadlock does. I, You know, that's a great question. I, I if, if I really – because we don't even know who Notre Dame's throwing yet. Um, you know, Notre Dame has their main guy who's he's thrown over 90 innings this year. He's a lefty. I think Bertrand Bertrand is his last name. He's got an O or he's got an eight and two record with 
239 ERA, and he's a lefty. Uh, one thing tech hitting hasn't really done that well this year is hit lefties. Um, so, I mean, you could argue from their standpoint that they throw him to get a guaranteed win. Um, if I'm Tadlock, with what I saw in the Big 12 tournament, you know, why not Molina? I mean, Molina was Molina was nails. I was at that game in Arlington, and that was the best he's pitched by far all season. And it just shows the potential that he has in the next few years in the Red Raider uniform if he chooses to stay in the program, which I think he will. Because I, if if anything, I want to say that that start pretty much guaranteed him at least a large amount of consideration for a Friday or Saturday pitching spot next year. Um, it was, it was incredible that uh, just watching it, just being there, it was really nice. But, um, you know, looking at, looking at this regional, I think it's wide open, but I think it's only wide open because all four teams, even UNC Greensboro can win this regional. Like Kendall, Kendall mentioned, Georgia Southern should have probably been higher than a 16. Notre Dame should have hosted. Notre Dame should not be here. I want to I want to put that out right now. Notre Dame should not be in this regional. They should be hosting their own. They should probably have the nine seed because I don't think Texas should be hosting. But here we are. Notre Dame should be hosting. We can get on a run. Everyone has seen what happens when Tech gets hot. And UNC Greensboro just ripped off like eight straight wins, like their last four of the season and went undefeated in their conference tournament from what, if I remember seeing that correctly. So you have four teams. I mean, UNC Greensboro are not really hosting, but you have four teams that could take this regional. I, I think it's wide open, but I only think it's because all four teams could take it. Um, take it to your question. I, I'd throw I'd throw Molina. I would, and uh, just hope that he can continue catching that lightning in a bottle that he had against Kansas State in the Big Twelve tournament. Um, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to see what happens. What has happened to Andrew Morris in the last two starts? Uh, it's just that OU squad is, is just red hot. And, you know, I, I've started filling out my bracket earlier today and I have them getting out of that Florida regional and I actually have them, uh, I have them going to Omaha. So, uh, OU's I'm watching them and I watched when I went to the big 12 tournament, I watched, um, some of the other games. I, I got there at about 10 AM and I watched, uh, everything that day, I watched Oklahoma State and Texas, and then I watched TCU and Baylor. Then I watched our game, and then I watched a couple of innings of the West Virginia OU game. And oh, I mean, for those of you that were in Lubbock and made it to the games when they took two, three from us, OU's the real deal. Uh, they're hot. They're peaking at the right time. And uh, you know, I'm just glad they're not in our regional. Uh, because if that were the case, then I really would have no optimism. But if we can send pitchers out there in these games that stand on their head, if we send Morris or Bird still out in game two and they pitch like they did against Kansas State when they both went for those back-to-back complete games, I mean, now you're talking about us being up right up there too. So I think it's um, – I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. I wrote about this a little bit in my article that got posted tonight. Um, that I kind of like this mini rivalry that we have with Notre Dame just for this academic year, uh, you know, with uh, with their stupid basketball coach running his mouth. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get them in the baseball postseason also. It's kind of enjoyable to have someone else, like, outside the conference that we can kind of, you know, enjoy a little rivalry, a little trash talk with, but actually still be treated to good games. And I thought that basketball game was a phenomenal game just in its own thing. And I think, I don't think the baseball um, will sell itself short either. So I think most tech fans 
and I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I assume comfortably at least 90% of Tech fans are most worried about Notre Dame in this regional. Who you'll have in, in game one. You mentioned it, that, you know, Tadlock has paid the big dollars to make decisions like this, which is who to throw in game one. Because the, the, the calculus, for those of you who may be wondering, you know, how do you even decide this, is just do you throw your normal rotation – you know, which would be Morris would throw game one, Birdsell in game two, Hampton in game three, and just assume that you have three starters who can win. And if Hampton struggles on the back end there, well, you've got another game to make it up. Or do you go with the idea that I think most Tech fans would consider valid, which is Notre Dame is likely the best team in the regional. So let's throw Birdsell game one and knock them into the loser bracket if we can. Um, I, I, I believe Notre Dame will throw their ace, who I saw finish the year top three pitcher in the ACC. If they throw their ace and Tech doesn't match, you could be in some trouble. Granted, Morris has had outings where he's been unhittable. Both him and Birdsell struggled a little, little bit more of late than I'd like to see heading into a regional, but regardless, I don't think there's a wrong answer. However, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw this out here because I I've thought about this long and hard and here here's the hot take on what could be a possibility for tadlock molina has looked as good as any tech picture pitcher for a lot of the year um and that kansas state start he was dominant you know until he got tagged up there at the end i wonder if you throw him or hampton game one you know flip the order your best effort is is going to be saved for the big moments you want Birdsell or Morris to throw a championship game because you know you don't have a fourth pitcher. And if you throw those guys in game one, um, they give you a chance to win, number one. And two, if Notre Dame's starter is just an absolute stud, if he goes out there and Tech does what it did for a lot this past week in the Big 12 tournament where they just can't hit, then you don't want to burn an arm like Birdsell or Morris on it because you're going to need those guys. Now that that's just you know a possibility. I think ultimately Tadlock will lack to just keep his rotation. Pitchers are pe- creatures of habit; don't want to throw anybody off. But you could see something weird. I mean, he did it in the super regional against Stanford. He threw Hampton out there in that in that game one. So you you, you never know what Tadlock's ultimately going to like to do with this situation. He's managing a very short bullpen, which does bring me to a point of conversation I want to have. I feel really fucking bad for Georgia Southern. I I feel incredibly bad for Georgia Southern. Their reward for earning the first regional in their history is to get Notre Dame, who almost everybody believes should have hosted, to get Tech, who was arguably a couple of games away from being in the conversation. And that's your big reward. Even if you do survive that, you get Tennessee next. I mean, talk about a fuck you by the committee. that, That seems almost personal. I kind of wanted to just jump in on that. I think the committee in general screwed over. I think they messed up a lot because not only did I don't think Texas should be hosting. Um, I think TCU had every right. I think they earned the right to host. And they. I think in baseball, that RPI ranking is just brutal. And we've talked about that on a couple different episodes now. But Another one that I just noticed was, like, when Michigan got in, I didn't understand how that knocked Rutgers out uh, because, I mean, Rutgers was considered almost a lock throughout the entire season, and then the Big Ten gets somebody else in, and that automatically knocked Rutgers out. And then there was just quite a few other teams. Like, just the seeding and everything with the hosting, I felt was very off. But that that might just be me, but especially Texas though, um, I don't necessarily understand how Texas um, got a hosting spot. I like especially finishing what was it fifth in the Big Twelve. Um, they definitely like Jack said Notre Dame should have easily been hosting, and I think Tech had more of an argument for hosting than Texas. But that might just be me. And it just, I hate how much baseball in the committee, it seems like they just don't value head to head. And if they do, it's very little. But um, 
Yeah, it was a. Uh, I feel like there was a lot botched in this bracket. I think a lot. <clears throat> I think a lot of what we saw in this, and and y'all are obviously chime in on this, but I think what we saw a lot of was that as opposed to years past, they really have taken the last three weeks of the, of the regular season and uh, postseason into, into account. Like they took the conference tournaments a lot more seriously with the seating than they have in years past. Uh, you want to talk about a big fuck you talk about TCU. You're talking about a team that won the big 12. Let's not forget they won the big 12. And then you have, I think I saw this was the first time ever that the team that won the Big 12 and the team that finished second in the Big 12 were not hosting, yet teams that finished third and fifth are hosting. That makes absolutely no sense. If, I mean, tell me in a world where that, I'm not making an argument for Tech to host. I think where we ended up in the rankings is actually pretty accurate at about 24 or 25. I think that's about where this team is right now. But to tell me that a team that finished like third and fifth in the conference deserves to host over a team that finished first or second, much less a team that was swept by a team that would finish second, I don't think so. Like, yeah, you know, you had you won a couple of games in the Big 12 tournament, but that's not indicative of a whole regular season's body of work, which is what this is supposed to be based on. Like, you're supposed to go off the whole thing. And, yeah, you know, Texas did get 42 wins or whatever. And that's fine. But for a majority of the year, they were not good. They they did not live up to the hype. Remember how at the beginning of the year, we all we heard about was Texas and how they were going to run the table in the Big 12. They were going to win every series. They were going to be consensus number one all year, and they were going to be an easy pick to win the tournament in Omaha. Well, they got the UT right, but they got the wrong UT. The the thing about the committee that bothers me the most this year, and because I don't think Tech had any argument to host. You knew exactly what you had to do, and you didn't do it. So I can't be mad on Tech's behalf. Let me be mad on Oklahoma's behalf, because Oklahoma got screwed. And I, TCU and OU are in similar situations, and, and I'll, I'll explain why. It came down to that the committee was not comfortable having another Oklahoma host. The committee was not comfortable putting a host in College Station and Fort Worth. And if you don't believe me, you got to start looking at just how the committee fills out its bracket. It's looking for regional teams to put in these regions. So if you put if you got TCU and AM hosting, there aren't that many Texas teams left that you can throw out there. You know, maybe Tech has to end up with TCU again, and nobody wants that. And, and the other part of this is I think AM deserved that hosting spot. There's no argument that Oklahoma State deserved it over OU, and there's no argument that they deserved it over TCU. Oklahoma State got the hosting spot because when the committee looked at OU Stadium and Oklahoma State Stadium, Oklahoma State has a nicer ballpark. It's a nice brand new stadium and they wanted to play a regional in it. That's what it boiled down to. As for Texas, Texas is just a demonstration of what we already know that the RPI system blows. And it's not the only reason it blows. Any system that rewards teams for not playing baseball is bad. And any system that rewards teams for canceling games is bad. And that that's that's it's in it it's unbelievable that we have you know, basketball, which created the net largely because RPI was such a cluster and baseball continues to cling to it. Not only does baseball continue to cling to it, there's such a large disconnect between RPI and what D1 baseball believes. So which part of that formula should matter more is up to the eye of the beholder. But I tend to believe it should be left up to the, if we're going to value one of these systems, it should be the one with, you know, four or five guys who really know baseball and care and not the one that had AM canceling midweek series. It, it just it, that that's how this should work. And man, I, I, I don't know. I do not know how, how you fix this. I'm not proposing a solution, but I think we can all agree. It is a problem that teams feel like they shouldn't play baseball games. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think it also comes down to the fact that when you're talking about, when you're mentioning how they determine regional hosts, they won't put teams from the same conference 
in in the same regional. So they won't put Tech in a TC regional, and they won't put Tech in a in a uh, Stillwater regional. They won't put Tech in a Norman regional. They won't put Tech in an Austin regional. They they refuse to do it with interconference teams. That's why you go around all these and you look at places that are hosting and places that are not that are not hosting. If you have if you think if you just do a hypothetical real quick and if you take out a map and you put a regional in Austin, Fort Worth, Norman and Stillwater. I mean, there's not a lot of teams. I mean, you throw you can't really throw tech into either of them either. Or any of any of those either, because they're in the Big Twelve. So, where do you go from there? I mean, you you don't you can't go anywhere with it. So, again, that that also is is a point about what they try and do, and that's another reason why I and I agree with you. I think Oklahoma deserves to host more than Oklahoma State. Um, And I think your reason is 100% correct. They wanted to, they didn't play a regional in their brand new fancy ballpark last year. And they went out to Tucson, I think they were in, and they got, and they got spanked. And so they want to put, they want to play a regional in that nice new ballpark. And, you know, can you fault them for it? No, but it's not, um, it's not contributing to the integrity of the system. The RPI is a very broken system. And I don't, like you said, I don't know, does baseball try and develop a net because of what the RPI has done? Or do we go off something completely different? Because, I mean, us three have gone in depth about how there are a lot of times where we don't agree or other people don't agree about the net in college basketball either. So, it kind of to reminds me, it, it kind of it kind of reminds me of the of the whole college football playoff versus the BCS. Remember, you remember back in the day when there were like three teams that would go undefeated and they had to choose between like the the top three who would play in the national championship because the BCS was such a flawed system. That's kind of what this reminds me of in a way. To me, I think the most accurate ranking system in any of the major college sports to me is the Ken Palm which that takes in a lot of different things to account. And I don't necessarily know how baseball would incorporate that type of ranking system. But if you go look at the Ken Palm, that is by far, it has been the most accurate for determining, you know, if you go look at, you know, where teams have finished in the Ken Palm versus where they finished in the postseason, there isn't a more accurate ranking system. And um, I think that would be a great type of, of metric system to use for baseball, but I just don't necessarily know what all would take into account to get a similar type of ranking. But like, I just, with baseball, it's just been so confusing to me how RPI is valued so much. And I have a little bit of gripe on my, my Iowa part of me. I mean, they were a 36 win baseball team this year and had some very quality wins. I thought they were getting in this year, but um, I just think that, in general, like there's so many different fan bases that had gripes. And then like, there's also, and I more looking at just the hosting and stuff, you guys are completely right. Like when you look at TCU and OU, especially the way OU was on fire at the end of the year, like that, I don't know too many teams in the country that are playing much better baseball than OU right now. And for them, I mean, I think that they're going to get out of that Florida regional, and I don't know how much of pushback there really will be against them, but they had every right in the world to be hosting, and so did TCU. Texas, to me, I just don't understand that. Like, Oklahoma State, I can somewhat accept, but Texas hosting over TCU and OU both is just really baffling to me. I mean, what you have to think about with all this stuff is always consider is baseball the kind of sport you need RPI to differentiate between good teams in? And I think the answer is no, because the the reason why you build a system like RPI is to encourage teams to go schedule really difficult games. But here's the here's the inherent problem with this. Baseball does not have the money that basketball and football does. 
you know, there are universities who can't afford to travel their baseball teams around the country. I think Tech probably could. Texas can. Major big-time baseball programs. But you even start going back just a little bit, and the money's not there. I mean, you go to Baylor, do you think that team's swimming in cash to travel out west to go play, you know, Pac-12, Oregon State? No, fuck no, they don't have that money. And you're talking about a sport that if you're going to make it so teams like Merrimack are not playable, those programs will die. They will die. They need the RPI boost. They need it. So, you know, basketball has the same problem. And how basketball's basically addressed this is as long as you play a couple of big road games a year, you can have your buy games. You just have to play a couple. You've got to get one or two of these marquee matchups on the schedule. Football's gone the other way. Football's basically said, fuck your difficult games. We're going to play cupcake number one, cupcake number two, bye week, cupcake number three, and call it a night if we can get away with it. And for a lot of teams, that's been enough. But baseball is a unique position in which money is a serious factor in how teams are scheduled. And if you start telling teams that they have to schedule big, you're going to start bleeding resources out of the sport. Because the further teams have to travel to get marquee matchups, the less money's on the table. It's not going to hurt every program equally. But DBU, for instance, this is a great example. They play this incredibly difficult schedule. Did DBU help Tech out that much? A little bit. But are you going to take the chance every year that DBU is going to be a top program in the state? You know, are you going to take the chance every year if you can, if you're tech, when you could go and schedule, I don't know, go play Auburn instead in in a series, if that's what we've got to do because the RPI killed tech. I mean, tech did it to themselves, but for instance, I saw something from um, Kendall Rogers where OU suffered because they marked the the Texas non-conference series or whatever as a home series instead of a a, a, a neutral site or whatever and that yeah, cost they, them they played it they played it at Globe Life in Arlington and, and instead of it they counted it as a neutral site contest instead of a or it was a home series for OU they were the home team during it but instead it was counted as a home series even though they played it at a neutral site. What, what he said it cost him what, like three or four spots in the RPI. Like that's a yep. joke. There's any number of problems with the system. I don't know what the solution is. There's, like I said, baseball is unique. There are travel considerations. There are issues with trying to keep prop up, you know, the, these lower tier programs that will not get shots. Cause here's the thing, like basketball is great because basketball, so many teams get in and we already know that some of these leagues will never be multi-bid with baseball. Think about the teams that come off the bubble just because of the strength of schedule, DBU being one of them. That goes away if teams don't have any incentive to play these guys. Like, if I'm Tech, I don't want to play DBU because DBU is good enough to beat you, and losing to them or playing them doesn't help you a whole lot every year. It can help you. They've been a good program, but what happens if they're bad? Right? Like, GCU is an example of this. GCU, it panned out not to be a good idea to play that squad. They finished in the tournament, but just barely by the skin of their teeth. I'd rather Tech go play Auburn and lose two games to Auburn because you're not going to be penalized at all for losing those games. You're not – Texas demonstrated this 100%. The midweek games don't mean shit as long as you win a couple big ones. They lost a whole bunch of bad games. but They also beat a few good teams on the road, and it netted out to a positive. They ended up with, what, like the number seven RPI despite finishing fifth in the Big 12? I mean, we all admit there's a problem – I'm not the great baseball mind of the world, but you know, there are guys who get paid lots of money to sort that out. I like the D one rankings. I never figured out why they like tech so much, but I'll take it. But you know, these are guys who really know the sport and we need to lean on them more and less on a formula we know is busted. Look, until we have an equivalent, until there's some sort of new system, new formula, new calculus, for the committee to weigh, it's nonsensical and random. And whenever they interview, you know, these these commissioners who are heading these committees and get the the draw the short straw of having to talk to ESPN, every answer sounds stupid. Every answer, it sounds stupid every year. You know, why didn't OU get the hosting spot? It was the regional advisory committee. What the fuck does that mean? That's not an answer because the answer to the question is, well, we went with the better stadium, and and and. Look, we can rant about this till the end of time. We are running out of time on the show. But I do want to close out quickly with predictions for the regional and enough about ranting about a system that they're never going to fix. And let's focus on something more tangent more tangent for Tech fans. Excuse me, more uh, tantalizing for Tech fans, which is how they're going to finish starting Friday at 1 p.m. 
Jack, I'll go to you first. How are you taking Tech? Are they able to get out of this regional? Could they? Yes, it's very possible. Will they? If you're going off a recent body of work, I, to be quite honest, my hopes aren't high. Um, I mean, if you just take into account the last two, three game sets Tech has played, they're two and four. So, again, do I think they could do it? Yeah. If Molina, if you throw Molina at any point as a third option in this regional, and he throws just like he, if he throws like he did in the first six innings against Kansas State, then I would 100% be willing to put money on this team to get out of this regional. But are you – it really, like Kendall said earlier, it boils down to what pitching are you getting. Are you getting the Mason Molina that pitched against Kansas State in the conference tournament? Are you getting him from earlier in the year when he, when he struggled at times? Are you getting the Andrew Morris and Brandon Birdsell that – through complete games against Kansas State and have really held your team down all pretty much all year? Or are you getting the Andrew Morris and Brandon Burtzall that have been touched up a little more as of late? Uh, what are you seeing in the bullpen? Are you seeing a rejuvenated bullpen that you've been seeing lately? Or are you seeing the stuff that led up a seven-run lead in the bottom of the ninth to New Mexico in Albuquerque? You just don't know. The team is so inconsistent. And I... I'm rooting for Tech. I will be the first one watching that game and the last one to praise this team for all the effort that they're laying out. But to me right now, it's the lack of consistency that's going to kill this team. And as much as I hate to say it, and I don't know if I've really ever done this since we have started this pod, I just don't think that Tech is going to make it out of this regional. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to let Kendall answer before me, but I think that you, you made some valid points, but I do want Kendall to take it first so that I can close this out here. Kendall, same question. How does Tech fare? Well, I agree with Jack on essentially every point he just made, but I mean, our podcast is called the Hub City Homers, and I'm going to be a homer until, you know, it's made me look stupid a couple times this year, but um, I'm willing to look stupid again for it, and I think I'm going to take Tech to get out. I think um, – I personally think Notre Dame is going to probably give Tech the biggest challenge in this regional, and I think we could see them more than once, and I think it's very likely we see them more than once, assuming, um, you know, assuming we win. I think that we're going to see Notre Dame twice. But um, I, I don't necessarily love their chances to get out, but – we've all seen tech at their best and I'm going to assume going into every game that they're going to bring out their best. And I just, I think tech can honestly get through this region pretty well. If they show up and play their best baseball, because I mean, we've seen it this year. They can play with the best teams in the country when they're playing their best baseball, which yeah, it's been, really spotty here especially in the last month of the season there's been a lot of inconsistencies but um i think we saw them at their best probably either in that uh series in stillwater or against texas and i think i i'm just gonna remain optimistic and hope that we get that tech ball club and that type of pitching and um i'm gonna take tech but you know, who knows? I could be very wrong, but I also could be very right. So it's all kind of just wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a point Jack made is is one to cl- kind of close this out on. Is, is There's no doubt that despite all the shakiness Tech has had this year, that they finished within spitting distance of hosting. Like, you were that close. Don't doubt it. You had a game on OU, and I think beating Kansas State again might have been enough. I mean – Turned out RPI was such a major factor, maybe not, but you were in that discussion if you had done that. The flip side of this is you've also had moments of complete futility on the baseball diamond. I mean, this has been one of the most up-and-down teams of the Tadlock era. It is one of arguably the worst teams of the Tadlock era. You've got the shortest bullpen. The hitting's been as consistent, as inconsistent as any I've seen Tech have. But here's my thing. Notre Dame is the team to beat in this regional. I'm not worried about Georgia Southern. I... They're a good baseball team, scrappy squad. 
you will you are better than Georgia Southern by a significant margin, or should be. You know, they 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 would not have finished better than sixth or seventh in the Big Twelve. I, I think that's fair to say. So you should be able to get past Georgia Southern, getting past Notre Dame. Maybe that overconfidence will kill me. It's done it in the past. Sam Houston State ruined Tech's home regional a few years back with a similar line of thinking. But, you know, that's where my head's at. Notre Dame, though, is a very, very good ball club. Maybe could have even argued it was a top 10 seed, top, you know, 12 seed in the nation. So there are your challenge. If you can get past game one, if you can just get past game one, the door is going to be open to you because I think if you can get – past Notre Dame, you'll get past Georgia Southern, throw in somebody, and you'll have one more win to go to clear the regional. So I my prediction is Tech does not do it. Um, I would love to pick Tech in this regional, and everything my heart says to take it. But to be honest with you guys, like I, this is the first time I've looked at a Tech baseball team in a few years and just thought they don't have it. There's no it factor with this team, even the ace. You know, Birdsell's a fantastic, wonderful pitcher, but he can't seem to get any help when he pitches his best. And when he doesn't pitch very well, it seems like he gets even less help somehow. You know, I I, I think you need more. You need more from every spot on the board, and that's not a good place to be in when you come to the regional. That being said, you're as talented as anybody in the country on just a pure talent level. You may not have the depth at pitching, but you got good arms. Birdsell, Morris, Hampton, Molina have all looked better as of late. Um, looked like D1 pitchers. Bridges has been a, been a Houdini out of the pen. So I, I don't think that, you know, you're going to just get swept out of this regional 0-2, but I think Notre Dame is likely to be the team to get out of this regional. I think they they should be the smart bet. And, but if you get out of this regional, fuck, I don't know. Maybe you can throw enough, throw enough against Tennessee to get by them. A, a two-game series I feel a lot better about than I do um, – you know, this, this three or four game series, you know, that, that even against Tennessee, I feel better with less arms having to throw to potentially get out into Omaha. So it, it, this first game is critical. That's why I wouldn't be surprised to see Bird sell throw it. That's why I wouldn't be surprised to see Morris throw it as normal. That's why I wouldn't be surprised to see Hampton throw it with Molina coming in relief. You know, it depends on the, you'll, you'll learn a lot about tech's mentality based on who's throwing. If they go out there business as usual, that means they're feeling pretty good about the matchups they got, and we'll see what happens. I mean, you're, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a tough path to Omaha. You didn't give yourself an easy one, so you got to do it the hard way. And it's time to stop wishing or wanting. We're just going to find out what this team's made of. And, you know, they've had moments of greatness. They've had moments of failure. Which one are we going to get? And we'll find out Friday at 1. It's on the ACC Network. However, I believe all ACC Network games stream on ESPN+. Plus. You will be able to catch it there. Follow along on the Guns Up Nation, or excuse me, Guns Up Radio. Follow along on the Twitter. Check the stat cast. Just be, be present, be visible. It's going to be a fun one. Middle day baseball for those of you who work on Fridays. I'll close us out here. Thank you guys for listening. This was the Hub City Homers. Rack them.